It's October 13th, and I'm still here. And uh, our message this morning is called Powder Puff Prophets and Candy Apple Christians. Come on, Curtis, we're going to have fun this morning. Powder Puff Prophets and Candy Apple Christians. Y'all ever go to one of those football games, the Powder Puff football game? I was personally insulted by it when we were in school, Matthew, because to me, this was a serious pursuit. I didn't know that I couldn't run out of sight in two weeks and that no Division I school recruits people that uh, you can time their 40 on a calendar. I didn't know that. And um, so in any case, it was a little bit insulting to see something that you work three hours, four hours a day for, for four or five years and, uh, and, and, and see people take it lightly. And as I was thinking about that this morning, uh, you, you know where it led me. Uh, I started thinking about the way in which people view Christianity. But before we get there, let us start with this scripture in Exodus 15, 3. When you think of the Lord, there are so many ways. I've had a chance to travel around the world. Some of you in here have as well. And very often you see Jesus, the gentle lamb, and Psalm 23 on a wall. And this is the defining statement for how they see God. They see Jesus, a gentle little lamb or shepherd with a lamb around his, his shoulders, and, and that is their view of God. And it is an accurate view. But God is not one-dimensional. He's not one emotion. He's not one-sided. The living God is so glorious, so inexpressible, that you could describe him in all 66 books for the next 66,000 years and not cover all that he is. And this morning, I'd like to look at a little different facet of him as a place to start. Exodus 15, verse 3 says, The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. His function, his character, his authority, his reputation, his Hashem is that he's a warrior. That's not all he is, but he is a warrior. Come on, look at your neighbor and say, that's good news. It's good news because I got a few battles that I'm in. It's good news because if I can get on the right side of this thing, if I can get going the same direction as the Lord, I don't have to fight him. The Lord is a warrior. Come on now, we've pulled some of our biggest problems, whatever we thought it was, right into the presence of God, and you see it's, it's like... Uh, child's play. You know, I have not seen a demonic stronghold that can't be broken. I have not seen a sickness that can't be healed. We act sometimes as if the Lord is not a warrior. We act as if the Lord is oh, just some kind of powder puff Santa Claus in the sky. And we do that because we've hired for ourselves powder puff prophets. Turn with me to Exodus 12. I want to show you something else. You only got to turn a page or two. I mean, that's like a special bonus, right, DJ? All right, you're with me, right? You get a test after the message. Here comes Exodus 12, 12. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both men and animals, and I will bring, what's that word? Judgment. Judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. What an interesting thing. We serve a God who when he does things in men's lives, he is also speaking a message to spiritual powers and principalities. Amen. So maybe there is a demon that would like to choke you out. Maybe every time you get in the presence of God, you are nervous and scratching and looking at the exits because something wants to hurt you. God wants to show you compassion. And at the same time he does that, he can execute judgment on those things that have been enslaving you. If you want freedom, there is freedom to be had. We don't serve a God whose arm is too short to cut those sinful attachments. Got an addiction in your flesh. And let's face it, who doesn't? The living God is big enough to break it. Guys, we do not have to be mastered by sin. I believe in the sovereignty and power and authority of the kingdom of God. And I believe in a God that is not ashamed to pick a fight. Turn with me to Exodus 7. 
You'll be in the second verse. You are to say everything I command you, and your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of his country. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my miraculous signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt, and with mighty acts of judgment, I will bring out my divisions, my people, the Israelites, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it. It sounds a little bit like God knew Pharaoh's heart and that God himself was picking a fight with a whole nation for the purpose of bringing judgment on spiritual powers. We do not serve a God who is standing by just watching you get kicked around and doesn't care. He looks and sees the oppression of people who call on his name, and he reaches down to raise them up. That's what the Exodus story is about. It's not a victim mentality. It's a victor's mentality because our God is a warrior, mighty to save. If we serve a God who is a warrior, if we serve a God who is mighty to save and willing to pick a fight, then we need to ask, why do we have candy apple Christians everywhere? They're beautiful. They're sugary sweet. Brother, I just love you. And you sound like a politician. And you're insincere when you say, you love me throwing change in your offering plate. You love the suits that it buys, the cars that you drive. You love to brag to your friends of how big your church is that you pastor, but you don't love me, you don't know me. You speak to me once if we should happen to cross on the way out the door. Candy-appled Christians. It leaves a sweet taste in your mouth, but in the end, there's not much that's edifying in it. I'd like to talk to you about the state of things. And before we get the idea that it's so dark, it's so bad, it's so hard, I want you to remember the Lord is a warrior. Let's take an honest assessment of where we're at. Not where some other church is at, where we are at. Not where some other family is at, where you are at. As I look out and I see the families represented in here, if you cannot take this message and apply it to your family first, you're missing out on the goodness of God. If when you hear it, it applies to someone else and you can only find criticism in it, you are missing out on the glories of God and on your way to becoming a candied apple Christian, no matter where you live. Turn with me to 1 Kings. Say there when there. I'm nervous. Nobody's there. I just want to make sure y'all not going to hang me out on a limb and refuse to go with me, huh? They say you can tell what kind of leader you are if you turn around and look and see how many people are following you. Y'all going to go with me this morning? In the first verse of Kings 20, now Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, mustered his entire army, accompanied by 32 kings. With their horses and chariots, he went up and besieged Samaria and attacked it. How many kings does Samaria have? One. One. There is one king in Samaria, and can I tell you something about this king? He's the seventh king of Israel, and he's a weasel. I mean, he's a, he's a serious scumbag. And his wife's not any better than him. Her name is Jezebel. This king is Ahab. And Ahab is about to look out and see Ben-Hadad, king of Assyria, with 32 other kings coming against him. What kind of things do you know about Ahab? You know that he was on the wrong side of a fight with Elijah. Elijah was pretty well God's man of power for the hour on the planet. You know that he so valued a vineyard that he was willing to destroy a man's life and cheat him out of it, and God judged him. Probably you never had anything good to say about Ahab in your life. I want you to see what even Ahab realized. Verse 2. He sent his messengers into the city to Ahab, king of Israel, saying, This is what Ben-Hadad says. 
Your silver and gold are mine. And the best of your wives and children are mine. I find such humor in that statement. Now follow me. All kings want silver, right? All kings want gold, right? But what do he say next? The best of your wives. I don't want the ugly ones. I'm just going to take the ones you like. <laughs> I, I don't want the ones you can't live with. I just want the ones you want to live with. I'm teasing. Now, silver is silver in the Bible. There's no question about that. Gold is gold. However, this might be taken to represent something in your life. There is a dark spiritual power, and most of the world is with him most of the time. And that substance like silver that represents redemption in your life, he's always trying to steal it. He's always trying to snatch you from the Father's hand, but he knows he can't. So he tries to tempt you out of the Father's hand. That substance gold that is the very divine nature and pure faith that you're supposed to walk in and have refined constantly, he says, that doesn't belong to you, it belongs to me. I want to steal it. He's a usurper. He's been doing it since Adam. When the whole world was given to Adam, he worked to get Adam to walk away from the promise and blessing of God so that what was Adam's, he boasts to Jesus in Luke 4, it's all been given to me, and I can do with it whatever I want. And wives, how many of you have covenant partners, not just in your home, but in ministry? Matthew and I are covenant partners. Steve and I are covenant partners. Charlie and I are covenant partners. The devil hates it. He's always working to sow seeds of dissension. He's always working. You can be talking about a Strong's concordance, and one seems tense, and the other seems defensive, and it's about a book. You're like, what is going on? It's because there's a devil, and he wants every good thing that God has given you for himself. And how about those children? You're called to raise godly offspring. And in ministry, you're supposed to be helping to see birth sons and daughters of God. You're supposed to be producing fruit 30, 60, and 100-fold. Well, Ahab was a wicked king, and he might be willing to give up his redemption. He might be willing to give up that divine nature. He may even be willing to disown his ministry partners. He might be willing to say, I'll go fruitless. And the enemy knew it and was going to take all he would give. The king of Israel answered, Just as you say, my lord the king, I and all I have are yours. He's surrendering without even fighting. He's so intimidated by what he sees outside the walls. He's just going to give it up without a fight. Give up his redemption. Give up the divine nature that could be his. Give up his ministry partners. Give up the godly fruit that he's supposed to have. The messengers came again and said, This is what Ben-Hadad says. I sent to demand your silver and gold, your wives and children. But about this time tomorrow, I am going to send my officials to search your palace and houses of your officials. They will seize everything you value and carry it away. You need to know that the enemy that we have is never satisfied with what you're willing to concede to him. Listen to me, ladies. You give some part of your body in the hopes that you will find love. It will not stop there. Listen to me, men. You give some part of what you know is right. You give away your integrity to get ahead. It will not stop there. The devil always takes you further than you wanted to go down a road that looks different in the end than it did the beginning. Always. He has designs upon you that are for destruction. The king of Israel summoned all the elders of the land and said to them, See how this man is looking for trouble? Can you believe that the devil would be looking for trouble? When he sent for my wives and children, my silver and gold, I didn't refuse him. Well, maybe that was the problem, you weasel. What happens when you appease an aggressor? 
you're encouraging his behavior. Why do we have so many pillow puff prophets and candied appled Christians? We have never learned to pick the right fight. We're pretty sure that if we can just tame down our faith, if we can just not be so controversial, so narrow, if we can just be a little bit more like the world says we should be, perhaps they'll let us alone. The elders and all the people answered him, do not listen to him or agree to his demands. How sad that the people knew what to do and the king of Israel was still asking. So he replied to Ben-Hadad's messengers, tell my lord the king, your servant will do all you demanded the first time, but this demand I cannot meet. Guys, even wicked Ahab had a place with which he was not willing to be pushed beyond. For him, it became personal when another king started talking about taking his palace from him. I want to tell you, wherever those little areas of concession start in your life, you need to stop and think about what you treasure the very most and know that it may have started with lying on a tax return, but it will finish with the loss of the respect of your children. You need to know that it may have started with telling just a little white lie, but it will finish with the wholesale murder of your character. The devil is never willing to accept the scraps that you give him. He will not stop until you're dead. Now, I have a better question than the one that Ahab was asking. Ahab says, do you see how this man is looking for trouble? Why wasn't Abraham looking, or why was Ahab not looking for trouble? See, I am not looking to powder myself and paint my nails and get along hunky-dory with the rest of the world. I believe that we are at war. I believe that the Lord is a warrior. I believe that if sons in our hands are like arrows, in the hand of a warrior, then a son of God in the hands of God is better than an arrow in the hands of a warrior. I think it's time that we take aim at our target. I think it's time that we stop talking about what other Christians are not doing or should be doing and we just take a hard look at how much ground we personally have given up. When's the last time you woke up and said, I really like to pick a fight with the devil today? I was born for the destruction of his kingdom. Are you not sure that you were born for the destruction? If you were born of the substance of God, 1 John 3 8 says, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Why are you here? You're here to destroy the devil's work. You are here to take back from him the things that he has tried to take from you and the people that you love. The silver that is your redemption, you cannot give away, friends. You should not give away. That gold, divine nature, that pure faith is worth more than precious gold. We cannot easily concede it. Our covenant relationships are what bears fruit in our life. You cannot throw them away or you throw the fruit away with it. Have you never read the parable of the sower? The man who deposited into you, the man who planted the seed is God. The seed is the word of God and he expects a harvest in return. He's not a harsh taskmaster. That's not true. He is a loving father, but he is also a warrior. And an enemy has sown among his fields weeds. What we do defines whether or not we're weed or wheat. Turn with me then to Lamentation, a book all of you have memorized, right? You'll find it right after Jeremiah. The subject matter he wrote about in Jeremiah made him lament, and they titled the book Lamentations. Turn with me to the second chapter, and let us together find the 13th verse. If there was ever a sadder scripture 
for me to read as a pastor, I have not found it. What can I say for you? With what can I compare you, O daughter of Jerusalem? To what can I liken you that I may comfort you, O virgin daughter of Zion? Your wound is as deep as the sea. Who can heal you? The visions of your prophets were false and worthless. They did not expose your sin to ward off your captivity. The oracles they gave you were false and misleading. When Ahab was willing to give up his silver, when he was willing to give up his gold, it wasn't a mistake in judgment. He didn't have an issue with finances. It was sin. And not knowing that it's sin and not calling it out as sin brings captivity. The enemy has come to conquer you. I asked earlier if any of you felt embattled and told you the Lord is a warrior. We cannot give up the things God is trying to give us and expect to win the battle. You cannot concede your redemption. You cannot give away that pure faith and just say, oh, well, the Lord will credit it to me. He already did. He already did. You didn't do a thing to earn it. The better question is not, have you ever believed on Jesus, but what are you doing with that belief right now? Is there anybody in the room that is not doing as well today as they were when they first believed? Thank you for being honest. God will reward that honest heart. It's not too late to turn around. It's not too late to find repentance, but repentance is not feeling bad. Repentance is deciding to pick the right fight. Come on, church. We need to stir it up. We need to pick the right fight. Turn with me to Jeremiah 6. Say there when you're there. In Jeremiah 6, we'll be in the 13th verse. From the least to the greatest, all are greedy for gain. Prophets and priests alike all practice deceit. They dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious peace. Peace, they say, when there is no peace. Are they ashamed of their loathsome conduct? No, they have no shame at all. They do not even know how to blush. So they will fall among the fallen. They will be brought down when I punish them. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroad. What an interesting word. Stand at the crossroads and look and ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your weary souls. Anybody want rest for your soul? We find it at the cross. We give up our right to choose the direction of our life. We lay down our expectations of what life should look like. I heard an excellent teaching this weekend. Peter got a revelation. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And a few minutes later is being rebuked because what the Christ, the Son of the living God, told him was going to happen did not meet his expectations of what the Christ should do. How many of you have said yes to Jesus, but you had in your mind the way that it should go, and as it has not gone that way, you've charged God with error rather than yourself? Peter was in that situation, and not just Peter. Everybody who's ever been called. I heard another excellent message this weekend that the calling was like looking at a mountain in the distance, and it's majestic. It's beautiful. I mean, who doesn't like to gaze at the mountains? And then you set out to walk for it. And after you've been walking all day, you realize it is a whole lot further away than I ever realized it was. I don't know if I'm making any progress. And about the time you finally make it to the mountain, you go, 
it's a whole lot bigger than I thought it was. The call of God is just like that, but it's not just bigger. You also see all of those little details you couldn't see from a long ways back. And you go, it's also not as majestic as I'm walking on it daily now. The Christian walk is so much like that. When you get born again, you're so full of faith. All that God has is mine. I'm so excited. I love the Lord. And as you begin to walk with Him, this is turning out to take more endurance than I thought it was going to take. And as you approach the mountain of mountain task that he asked you to do. You go, you know, I thought I was gonna, I thought I was gonna serve the Lord, Nolan. I had no idea that I was gonna be taking out trash cans. I thought I was gonna be pastoring people. Be a, a worshiped leader. I meant worship leader. And now all I do is counsel, and nobody's listening to the counsel. God says to this people that he makes this awesome promise to about the crosswords and looking. Verse 17. I appointed watchmen over you and said, listen to the sound of the trumpet, but you said, we will not listen. So then how then did they get into the state of things they were in? They failed to heed warnings, but instead raised up for themselves people that preached in a way that they liked, people that preached the kind of things they wanted to hear because you're all just champions, right? Except what if you're not? What if your walk is not? When do we ever hit that brick wall and say, you know what? I will never climb the mountain that we sing about if I don't do something differently. The truth is, God's given me precious, beautiful things, and I've let the enemy steal from me. And I've let the enemy trample on what God has given me. And it's not his fault. He's a warrior. It's my fault. I've been a candied, appled Christian with powder puff prophets making me feel better about myself. You know, I don't like Facebook. I would rather that you did not send me private messages on Facebook. If you do, I will eventually read them. Sometime in the next several years, I will get to it. If you would like to talk to me, they had this invention some years back called a phone. And I take your calls. I take Now, Jay teases me about how quickly I take the calls. He said, what day of the week will you take my call on, Pastor? <laughs> We're doing our best, but I will take your call. I have noticed, though, when I do see a Facebook post, the people who get quoted over and over and over, I mean, oh, this is, I, just, I like this post. I like it. I like it. Are always saying the most sugary, sweet things. I mean, if it's a Christian ministry and they want their Facebook post to be popular, they do not say you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from God's coming wrath. First produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and then you can come and be baptized. They, have y'all ever seen that Facebook post? No, you probably never will unless one of you goes home and does it. I challenge you, do it and see how many likes you get. You won't get any more likes than there are people in this room. And probably, in all honesty, not everybody in this room would like it either. We love popular messages. Listen to what 1 Thessalonians says. This would be 1 Thessalonians in the fifth chapter. Say there when you're there. there. Now, brothers, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night while people are saying peace and safety. You know what he didn't warn us is that the people who would be saying peace and safety would be these powder puff prophets because they're just making too much money off of telling you what you like to hear. 
40% of everything that comes into this ministry, and I'm hoping to get it above that, goes to causes that have nothing to do with the walls of this ministry. It's foreign missions. It has everything to do with the call of God and nothing to do with something that would simply build our ministry. That may sound like I'm bragging. I am. I am bragging on Jesus. I didn't have 40%. No one of us had 40%. We just decided to pick a fight. Looked at the numbers last month, and through halfway through the month, almost $96,000. That may sound like a lot of money to you. But the problem is, is I know how many needs we are still not meeting. I picked the right fight, and I know it. And I'm excited about it and energetic for it. Have you decided to pick a fight with the kingdom of hell? Or have you decided just to get along and get by? I was with a man this weekend who was like 6'10". Is that about right, Al? It's not Al. It's somebody taller than Al. Reached up to put my hands on his head and pray, and I needed to step on Matthew just to get there. He's frustrated. His heart hurts because he's surrounded by believers who love the Lord, but they think they've done something. When they go home to many hundreds of thousands of dollar houses, and they've given $100 towards foreign missions. They think they've done something. And they feel good about it. And this man's eyes are being opened. And it hurts him. Because he doesn't want to be a candy apple Christian. The fastest way to be a candy apple Christian is to hang around powder puff prophets, friends. That's what they do. They just put another layer of sugar on another layer of sugar, until they've eventually destroyed anything that was ever edifying inside that apple. Now, don't get me wrong. We like actual candied apples. My wife makes them. And my, my, daughter, my daughter asked for it. I told her the other day, if you speak to me one more time about this, I'm going to whip you. You understand? <laughs> I woke up in the middle of the night to hear her have crawled in the room, lean over beside her mom, and she says, I repented of my earlier declaration, smiled, and went back to sleep. Something in us just loves it. You know why? Well, they taste good, obviously. But an apple's supposed to be healthy, right? An apple a day keeps a doctor away. Isn't that what we grew up hearing? I don't know if an apple today is the same apple they were talking about. We probably grow one in about 35 minutes, you know. It has the appearance of something that's healthy, but in reality, it probably kill you just as fast as any drug you inject in your veins. Could there be any more unhealthy thing than the 12 layers of chocolate we put on those things, Jennifer? The caramel that we melt around it? And see, that's what a candied apple Christian is. It has the appearance of godliness, but there's no power to actually affect health. That's what a power, powder puff prophet is. Looks the part, sounds the part, can thus saith the Lord. But their visions and revelations do not ward off captivity because they don't deal with the sin that is killing us. See, issues are not killing us. Bad communication styles are not killing us. Politics are not killing us, although it may feel very much like they are. Sin is killing us. And what we need to address more than any other thing is sin. We need to pick a battle with sin. We need to hate it. We need to want to destroy it. We need to want to rid the earth of it. Commit genocide on sin. Three hallelujahs and over a hundred people. See, when you start talking about sin... All of the sudden, you don't get Facebook likes. But if you don't talk about sin, you never find people that get 
free. Somebody said of our church, all that pastor does is talk about sin, to which my response was stop sinning. Turn with me to Psalm 126 so we can talk about something other than sin. I've noticed in this life that the people that are most conscious of their own sin, most introspective about their own sin, also walk in the highest levels of holiness. And the people that are pretty sure that they're pretty good people don't even know how to define holiness. Are you in Psalm 126? Look at verse 3. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with His joy. You want to start to turn a battle around? Look backwards at what God has already done for you. Are you better off now or worse off than when He saved you? Then no matter how dark it feels now, you are making progress, huh? Amen. Look back at the battles you have already won and acknowledge that the Lord is a warrior and thank Him for it and join the battles that He fights because He is a warrior. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who sow in tears reap in songs of joy. The way to win the battle is to pick the right fight by repenting of your own direction. Take up arms in the same direction the Lord is. Have you been stubborn? You know what the Bible says about it? Don't. <laughs> in the immortal words of Elvis Presley, when things are going wrong, don't go with them. You have a choice, and God's Spirit will empower you to make the right choices. Are you broken over the life that you're living, or are you entitled to your sin? You know, God in His mercy, because He loved Israel, let Ahab win the battle against Ben-Hadad that time. Of course, he gets killed by a random arrow in a different battle later. <laughs> Heart was never right. He was selfish to the core. He was not broken over his actions. He felt entitled to act the way that he did. After all, he's the king. Does that sicken you a little bit? Let's forget whatever political affiliation you have. How do you feel when you're out of work? and you see whoever is in office spending lavish amounts of money on travel that is irrelevant or unnecessary. Does it make you feel good or bad? Bad. And then to make ourselves feel better about whoever is your guy, you, you talk about what all the previous administrations did. Because if everybody is terrible, then all of a sudden this is less terrible? No, it just means everybody's terrible. Isn't that kind of what the prophets decry? There are none that are righteous, no, not, not one. Well, when are we going to stand up and be what we're professing to be? We are like kings in the universe that are running around feeling entitled to the things we have. And so when we let them slip away, we just say, God, give us more. God has entrusted you with some very precious things. How many of you in this room have children? This is your most valued possession, and if it's not, you need to repent. This is the legacy on the earth. We are fighting a generational battle, and what you have gained in your life is where your child is supposed to start from. No child should have to go back and refight all of the battles that the parent was supposed to deliver to them. Your children ought not have to learn about salvation by grace when they're 50 years old because it's your job to teach them now. Amen. They're supposed to carry on from where you left off. We cannot give this battle away. You can't give it to an Xbox. You cannot give it to a public educator. You cannot give this away. It is your solemn obligation before God. Well, I pay my child support. Yeah, well, <laughs> good for you.
We are supposed to be raising up sons and daughters of God. I take that seriously. The highlight of the men's reloading event for me was I realized that my son, who is 16, has an idea why he's on the earth. He's beginning to get it. And it's not to drive mom's suburban or eat dad's food. It's on the earth to make a difference for the living God. It's a dangerous thing to praise a 16-year-old. It is. But this is really what life is about, is raising up something that will continue to make a difference after you're gone. Do you care about godly legacy? Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. He who goes out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with him. What do we need to do? We need to repent and replant. We've sown the wrong seeds. We've been a part of building weeds too long. Part of doing things that had a candied apple nature. Something edifying buried so deep in there somewhere that you'll never really get to it. Jesus, a footnote to satisfy the critics, but we're really just doing what we want to do. Lordship is sacrificial. It involves hearing from God and doing what he says to do, especially when it's not what you would have chosen to do. I promised you last week as I promised the living God and I kept my word. I called the relative that I didn't want to talk to. Much to my chagrin, they answered the phone. So as I was driving out there, I said, Lord, you gave me the strength to call. I need you to give me the strength to show up. To make sure I wasn't late, I got there four hours early. I didn't tell them that, but I did. And I prayed. I didn't pray for the outcome of the meeting. I prayed for my behavior in the meeting because it's hard to do God's will sometimes. And the meeting exceeded my expectations. I don't know if I could call it good, but I can tell you it was beyond what I thought it was going to be. Anybody who tells you that the will of God is like looking at that mountain in the distance and it's majestic and it's beautiful and you think I'll be skiing on it or whitewater rafting in it and it'll all just be glorious has never actually set foot on that mountain. The truth is they're hard to climb. Sometimes they have five or six different spheres of life on them. You get above a tree line and you are shocked at how desolate it is. Not just everybody climbs to the top of their mountain. The candied apple Christians just buy T-shirts at the foothills and tell everybody they've been on the mountain. We need to repent and joyfully replant. We don't have to go around mourning and repentance. You don't need to beat your breast and beg God to save you. He delights in giving you the kingdom. How about you sacrificially put a smile on your face and say, in the name of Jesus, I'm going to do it even if it hurts. We got this thing in my household. We read, we discovered this scripture that said, Blessed are you when men revile and persecute you for my name's sake. And so when we walk in, say, Hey, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing good. And that's, that's a normal day. A day that was designed somewhere in the bowels of hell to destroy you. When we walk in, you say, Hey, how are you doing? I am blessed. And that means it was hard as hell. That's what it means. I'm just teaching you our vernacular. But I'd rather do that than sit around and cry about it. Any task that you do, no matter what it is, is easier to do with a smile than a frown. Do this with me. Turn to 1 Samuel 14. You all have just a little more in you? Yes, sir. Good, because I do too. Now... When Brother Charlie prophesies, I love it. And it sounds like Cajun French. It's not, but it sounds that way. And some years ago, okay, let me tell the truth. Some weeks ago, 
I occasionally made comments about some other nations when I was preaching. Some that like to surrender, some that like to remain neutral. Those kind of comments. Charlie said, you're making it hard on me to share these messages with my international friends. So I found a good story about a nation. I want to tell you about a French drummer. This is written in a book by Charles Osler, if you want to look it up. The battle seemed to be lost for the emperor. So the great general said to this drummer boy, beat the sound of the retreat. The boy made no response and paid no attention even when the general called to him a second time. Napoleon was not used to being ignored. And then a third time, Napoleon is said to have gone over to him, caught him by the shoulder, and shaken him violently, demanding, why do you not obey orders? He said, sir, I don't know how to beat the sound of a retreat. I can beat the sound of a charge. I did it at Austerlitz. I did it at Mount Tabor. I did it at the pyramids. And if you'll allow me, I can do it here. I know no alternative. Napoleon is said to have nodded his head in assent. And the boy beat the charge so well that he inspired new courage from the hearts of his French soldiers. They pressed on and won a great victory. That day it was said that the sound of his trumpet raised the dead. God is raising up watchmen who will sound the trumpet. The question is, do you want to be a candied apple Christian? Do you want to go sit with the powder puff prophets, or do you want to heed the call of the trumpet? Because I want to tell you something, it feels good to get tired in his service. We may not sleep as much as some of the other people do, but our sleep is sound. I know what it is to give up for the kingdom things, but I've not begun to approach the level of sacrifice that defined the men who wrote this book. Not even worthy to be put in the same sentence with them. But our lives are not over yet, are they? Are you all in 1 Samuel 14? That's where I'm supposed to be. Starting in verse 4. On each side of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistine outpost was a cliff. One was called Moses and the other, Sina. The story here is that Saul is hanging out with Ichabod. He's hanging out with men that if you define their family names, they say things like the glory of the Lord has departed. They're imposter priests. They're powder puff prophets, but I'm not going to teach you all about them today because it's not the point. If you go back in 1 Samuel 14 and you define every man's name that is listed, everyone tells a negative story about people that mishandled the authority of God. But this is not their story. It's Jonathan's story. And Jonathan looks into the distance and he sees a mountain. He said, you know, I have a sword. The truth is, Jonathan had the only iron sword. So he snuck away from the group, and he looked, and to get to the mountain he had to go to, he had to pass down a narrow place. And on one side of the cliff, it was called Bozus, and on the other, it was called Sina. In Hebrew, one means shining, and the other means thorn bush. Man, isn't that true? Whenever you set out to do something for God, you have to fight through the sinful thorn bushes to get to what is shining and glorious. And the sinful always stands between you and the shining glory. It always does. 
Brent preached very well about this when he preached about a second option. He called the sword option. There's what God called you to do, and then there's the sinful way out that looks kind of like what he called you to do, but you know is really not it. That's how you become a candied apple, friends. You look like an apple. Maybe deposited deep down in there somewhere is a vitamin, but it is covered in so much sin that it's not going to edify anyone. Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, this is verse 6, Come, let us go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised fellows. Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. I want you to understand, he looked and saw in the distance the enemy, and he had not even heard from God to go. He just woke up in a mood to pick a fight. I know we think Christians are pacifists. I'm telling you, if you are not spiritually violent, you're going to fall short of the kingdom of God. You're going to have to learn to fight a good fight of faith. And anybody that says otherwise is selling you something, even if it's admission through their tithe plate. You have to wake up sometimes and just want to fight because he fought for you. The Lord is a warrior. Do all that you have in mind, his armor bearer said. Go ahead, I am with you, heart and soul. Remember I was talking about those covenant partners earlier? It's a really rare thing when you find somebody that says, we hadn't even heard from God yet, but whatever he tells you to do, I'm with you. Because I know, where you at, John? I know that I'm called to support ministry. I know it. And I'm looking for the chance. I woke up this morning hoping God would speak to somebody, and I, I'm glad it's you. I'm with you, heart and soul. Some of you in this room have a vision of a mountain. You probably won't make it there. Anybody go to Peru with me? You probably won't make it there without your brothers. You probably won't. I would not have made it out of Peru without my brothers. Wouldn't have happened. I probably have just sat down in the middle of one of those long paths and cried. Don't act like you hadn't had a day like that. You weren't standing where we were standing. Every time I rounded a corner, there was more very convincing proof that I could not do what I was being asked to do. If it were not for the constant movement of my brother's feet, I probably would have just stopped. God is raising up people that have a vision of a mountain and people that will stand with them heart and soul. And he is also inspiring people to pick back up their visions. Have you set something down that God called you to do because it became too hard? Have you decided that you can still be an apple? You just want to be a candied apple? God gains glory through what you do that is difficult. I want to encourage you not to shy away from it. Jonathan said, come up then, we will cross over towards the men and let them see us. If they say to us, wait there and we'll come down to you, we'll stay and we'll wait and not go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, we will climb up because that will be our sign. The Lord has given them into our hands. I want you to understand this. They threw out a fleece. And whether it was wet or it was dry, they were going to fight. That was their fleece. The fleece just told them where to fight, on the flat ground or on the mountain. Now, I want to ask you something. If you had two men facing a garrison, would you rather fight after climbing up a mountain, single file, on what the Bible describes as hands and knees? Or would you rather in the natural realms fight on flat ground? I would want to be able to run if I had to. But that's just me. I would prefer not to be physically exhausted when I got there. But that's just me. May not surprise you that most of the most difficult work that happens in a man's calling 
is when he feels like he has the least to give. When he's exhausted, when he's climbed, when there's nothing left is when we know how supernatural it is. Listen to what these guys do. So Jonathan said to the armor bearer, oh, I'm sorry, they taunted, the, the, the men at the top of the hill taunted the Hebrews. They said, oh, they're coming out of their holes. So Jonathan said to his armor bearer, climb up after me. The Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. How did he know they were given into the hand of Israel? Because they wanted to fight, and the Lord is a warrior. <laughs> they picked a fight with us, and we stand with our God. How many of you believe the Lord can be beaten? Nobody in the room thinks the Lord can be beaten. Should you be able to be beaten then? You're only able to be beaten if you're standing somewhere other than with the Lord. See, they didn't care how many were there. They didn't care how tall the mountain was, how much suffering they had to go through. They were willing to do it because if these people were willing to fight with the Lord, they knew victory was theirs. They woke up looking for a fight to pick. Jonathan climbed up using his, what's it say? Hands and feet. Now, we had to climb in a couple places where we had to use both hands and feet. Friends, that's like a ladder. It's straight up. Not an easy thing to do. With his armor bearer right behind him, can you imagine Jonathan turns to the armor bearer and says, man, if this was really the Lord, there'd be an escalator, a gondola, a lift. They enjoyed what they were doing because they knew God was in it. Was it easy? Oh, I bet not. If it was easy, the candied apples would be doing it. Jonathan climbed up using his hands and feet with his armor bearer right behind him. The Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer followed and killed behind him. In the first attack, Jonathan and his armor bearer killed some 20 men in an area of half of an acre. Why do you need a covenant partner? Because sometimes your very best is just that you call. That's all you're capable of. Other times your very best is that you show up and pray. You need people in your life that will help you complete what you said God called you to do. You need that. And if you can put your sword out there and it knocks them off balance, maybe your armor bearer can end the matter for you. Maybe he puts his shield out there and knocks them off balance and you put the sword to them. That's why the devil wants so badly to sow dissension among the brothers. I can tell you it hurts when it happens. It's terrible. We've had some ministry divorces in our lives. It's painful. And there's life on the other side of it because there's no shortage of people that don't want to be a candied apple Christian. They want to do the difficult. They just need to hear the sound of the trumpet. This morning, my aim is for you to hear the sound of the trumpet. I need to tell you about another battle. Is that okay? Are you all tired? You're starting to sound tired. It's 12.15. Is that past your butt clock? I mean, your glutus, your, your hiney? is starting to cry out to you now and tell you church has got to be over? Surely we're made of tougher substance than that, right? Now, if you grew up hearing stories about Napoleon and you were a little French boy, whether you loved Napoleon or hated him, and there were French on both sides of that, depends on where you stood in the revolution, one thing was sure, you admired his military tactics. There's a war called the Crimean War. I know you all stayed up all night reading about it. It occurred in 1853 to 1856. France and Britain, and how unlikely an ally is this, the Ottoman Turkish Empire, all united to fight with Russia. Now, people go to war over crazy things. In this case, there was a dispute in the Holy Land as to whether some of the churches should be Catholic or Orthodox. For that dispute, 400,000 people died. And because the way warfare worked in this 
1853 to 1856, three-year period, the number of casualties is about 100 to 150,000 from actual warfare and the rest from disease. Not a nice way to die. Dysentery, cholera. In the battle that I'm going to tell you about, the battle for the Crimean Peninsula, the Russian soldiers had 35,000 men and the Allied forces, not World War II Allied, but the Allies I told you about, had about 65,000. That's a good day, isn't it? I mean, you like when you show up and somebody brought a knife to a gunfight. But the soldiers for the Russians were dug into high positions in hills and had artillery. And they were raining down casualties upon the Allied forces. It's said that in a battle at a river called Alma, and by the way, if you've ever known somebody in the English-speaking world with the name Alma, it probably goes back to this river. British soldiers came home and named their little girls Alma afterwards because of what happened here. It is said that at the Battle of Alma, when one of the regiments was being beaten back by the Russians, the color bearer, this is the man who holds the standards, holds the symbol of what it means to be in the army. It is said that at the Battle of Alma, when one of the regiments was being beaten back by the Russians, the color bearer in front stood his ground as the troops retreated. I need you to get the picture. All the guys with guns are going the wrong way, but the guy who was tasked to hold the standard that they would live by didn't. The captain shouted to bring back the colors, but the man replied, bring the men up to the colors. This is a message for the body of Christ. We do not need a new and inventive way to share the gospel. We don't need one more program. We don't need one more ingenious way to let people know about the grace that is theirs. We need to bring the people who are Christians up to the standard of Christ. If we will make a clear call, if we will sound the trumpet in an unequivocal way, some will rise. And those are the ones that Christ's face will shine on. The dignity of Emmanuel's ministry can never be lowered to meet the littleness of men. Men must rise to meet the standard set at the cross. The first time this occurred in history is our last couple scriptures. It's in Exodus. You'll find it in the 32nd chapter. You won't stay in this church long without learning your Bible, that's for sure. Moses had gone up on a mountain to get the standards of God. And in the NIV, Exodus 32, in verse 25, this is Moses coming off the mountain. Moses saw that the people were running wild and that Aaron had let them get out of control and so become a laughingstock. Now, don't think me too harsh. No, it's okay. You can think me harsh. When I read running wild, out of control, and laughingstock, I think Christian television. It's the first thing that comes to mind. It's like clowns for Christ. not that I want to be mean. It's that the things that are displayed on there fall so short of the true dignity of this calling that it's like watching a powder puff football game. Moses saw that the people were running wild and that Aaron had let them get out of control and so become a laughingstock to who? They probably thought they were legends in their own mind. So he stood at the entrance to the camp and said, Whoever is for the Lord, come to me. That is a clear trumpet call of God. If you are for the Lord, the standard is being laid down. Come to me. It's an altar call. And all, say that, all, all the Levites 
rallied to him. Understand, friends, we are to be a nation of priests. The Levites are the forerunners. If you didn't rally to Moses, you were no longer a Levite. Every man who was a priest with God did something about the laughing stock that was running wild and out of control. Then he said to them, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, each man strap a sword to his side. I would submit to you that that nicely bound Bible in your lap is an instrument of warfare. I have been known to carry a pocket knife, a gun, a one-ton truck, but the instrument of choice in my life is a Bible. I have found it effective on every level against all enemies at all times. You know, the right kind of gun is a devastating thing. But if a grizzly bear or a polar bear is chasing you, a 38 makes it mad. It does. But the authority that comes from God can command even a bear and it has to obey you. Ask the prophet Elisha. They did his bidding because he did the Lord's bidding. This morning I didn't want to preach to you about bears. I simply wanted to tell you that it's time to strap a sword to our side. We do not need better plans. We need better men. This is our last scripture and it is also our altar call. This is Jesus' words right before he goes to the cross. You did not choose me. I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Amen. The living God sent a call out into all the worlds. You either have heard that call in the past or you are hearing it now to the best of my ability. If you answer the call, it is not just a prayer at an altar. It's not a warm, fuzzy experience that you walk away and never do anything differently. It is a lifelong commitment to go and bear fruit, fruit that lasts. It's not such an easy thing to do, and yet it's as easy as obeying him. And if that becomes your life, then when you need an internship, you can know that the Father gives you whatever you ask in his name because you are working in his service. Every commanding officer wants to see his soldiers well-armed well-equipped. The day that Israel left Egypt, they were armed for battle. The day you are born again, you are armed for battle. The real question is, have you laid down your armaments and become a candied apple? Could we stand to our feet?